I always love saying this. We can edit that out, right? Yeah. <laughs> it never gets edited. <laughs> Hey everybody, Microphones Madness, I'm Rodney, over there Steve. Hey! And tonight we are talking Dreams from the Witch House, Female Voices of Lovecraftian Horror, edited by Lynn Jemnick, and published by Dark Regions Press. This book came out in 2015. There's a fuck ton of stories in this book, so we're breaking it down and doing five at a time. Uh, what'd you think of the first five, Steve? Um... It was not bad. I actually really enjoyed a few of them. Um, there were a couple that were kind of, I guess, on the fence. Mm-hmm. But uh, overall, it's a, it's a nice um, beginning to the whole thing. Right on, right on. I, I thought um, thought it was pretty solid starting out. Um, well, let's just get right into it and go down the list of the stories. The first one, the leadoff hitter is Shadows of the Evening by Joyce Carol Oates. Um, I will say that I had a door song going through my head throughout my entire reading of this story. Mm-hmm. Um, because of that line, uh, Shadows of the Evening, crawl across the land, you walk across the wall, uh, floor with a flower in your hand, trying to tell me no one understands. Mm. Um, yeah, so... That was like just playing in my head the entire time. The entire time. The entire time. Well, this is the story of a a, a young lady who is sent from Buffalo, New York to Edmonston, Massachusetts to take care of an ailing aunt. I'm going to jump in and say Edmonston is a uh, fill-in for Haverhill. Take it from a, what what are you, a a Massachusetts? Mass hole. A mass hole. Now the 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 gag here is that the young lady Magdalena is only sent to take care of uh, the aunt Erica uh, in the hopes that she'll die and leave the family some money because she's fucking loaded. She's loaded, and Magdalena comes from a very large and very poor family, mm-hmm. um, which causes her a little bit of distress throughout the narrative right right and really we go through a lot of um magdalena meeting her aunt and and and, uh, getting acclimated to her surroundings and whatnot before the slightest odd thing happens right i mean there's like it's weird because like you had no pun intended you have like all this build-up and actually really really good characterization probably too good as it turns out um you have the creepy rich eccentric eccentric aunt who's old and dying and sick and then you have her two uh servants mm-hmm. who who resent magdalena on site uh, for an unknown reason oh, she's an interloper yes I mean, oh, that's, she's that's got the family. Yeah, but it's never explicitly stated. But you get like this whole—it's like a really gothic feel 
to, mm-hmm. to the beginning of this story, really. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's a well written story. Um, I wasn't really sure about it being the the lead off story in this anthology. Uh, because it is a bit of a slow burn. It's a slow burn, and it's one of those. Uh, it violates Chekhov's law of the. Uh, if you have a gun introduced in the first act, it better well be used in the third. Mm-hmm. You have quite a bit of guns that are introduced in here, and um, quite a bit of them just stay on the desk, so to speak. Yeah. Oh. Well, yeah, and then. But you kind of knew that it wasn't going to be centered. You, you kind of thought at the first that the Lovecraftian element was going to be centered around Aunt Erica and the house itself. Right. But really that that comes into play later during the explorations and nowhere near the house. Yes, and I thought it was all going to tie together. Mm-hmm. And that was my main complaint is that the, the buildup and the... the, the the really well done characterizations of these people, like they really made Magdalena seem to be isolated. Mm-hmm. I mean, she, she, Oates went through great pains to isolate this character geographically, emotionally, um, and and you had like the tension between the the servants and Magdalena, and then the growing relationship between uh, Magdalena and her aunt. Um, it, it just and the old house and how she was feeling, feeling uh, more accustomed to her new life and starting to enjoy herself for the first time. It, you had like it was like this, it was building towards something, and then that thing never really happened, and it didn't tie in with the thing that actually happened very well. It didn't tie in very well. Kind of tied in, but not right. Right. Now, without uh, without going into too much detail on the ending, because this this anthology is just barely. I don't think it's even two years old yet. Yeah, and we're we're back to Lovecraftian horror, so you know the ending's the thing. Right. Um, now, this was an ambiguous ending. It it kind of reminded me of uh, Miabe's. Ghost of Old Edo, so it was kind of an interesting transition going from that book into this book and having a, a story in a similar style. You know, it's funny is uh, re- reading through the the introduction of Ghost of Old Edo. Um, mm-hmm. the, the the editor um, basically comes out and says that she wanted that Miyabi wanted to fuse um, Western and Eastern. Uh, traditions of weird tales. Mm-hmm. So that, that's a little aside, right? Right. It was it was a great it was a good transition, great transition from Ghost of Old Edo into Dreams from the Witch House. But I think if I picked this book up cold, yeah, I just wasn't feeling this story as as the lead off. Well, full disclosure, um, I tried to read this. Uh, when I first got it a couple years ago, mm-hmm. and this story kind of stalled me on it. Right. Um, so I, I'd have to agree that it, I'm not saying it was a, a, a bad story or anything. No. It wasn't one that grabs you and draws you into the book. No, no. 
Um, and uh, oddly enough, this is the only one that is uh, that had been previously published. The rest of them are original to to the this uh, anthology. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was uh, Shadows of the Evening. Joyce Carol Oates leading off. Next, we have the Genesis Mausoleum by Colleen Douglas. Now, this story I think was the better lead-off story for this. Yeah, anthology. most it, definitely. It hit the ground running. It hit hard, and really, I was just sucked into this story because it's just it had that pacing that I like. Yeah. And and it's it's strange and it has those Lovecraftian elements of things like lost cities and and you know isolated wild areas and weird shit happening. Uh, life forms. Right. Without without going through the uh, the catalog of name dropping. Yes. We don't get name dropping until um, later on in these five five right. stories. Right. But that's uh, that's a good thing. I mean, you know, you don't always want to have name dropping. You don't really, you know, at this point in the game, you don't really need it. <laughs> no. Unless no. you're writing a story of, that is about one of the, you know, one of the big ones like Chubby or, or Bernard or whatever. Then you can do it, but I think before then it's just kind of like yes, yes, yes. We know, we know. You've read Lovecraft, Yoxi, Sofa, blah, blah, blah. Right, and even even then, there are some that you can go with more than others, um, because some some of the Lovecraft enti- entities have been done to death. They really Bernard, are. Bernard, um, hell, Naira left him. And so I, I I I like it when we see new things, uh, new critters coming out, and yeah, if we can work these into uh, the Call of Cthulhu game, they do. Be, I mean, they they do do that. They they yeah. totally put in new critters from from different authors. Um, we just we just don't have any of these newer ones probably because a, they've been working on it for a while and B licensing. Right. But still it's nice. It's nice to see something, something fresh. Right. And, and something that's not the usual fare is even for monsters. I mean, you know, spoiler alert. uh, This one is a plant. It's yeah. So you, it's basically a, uh, a variation on the El Dorado legend mm-hmm. um, taken to the Lovecraftian realm. Well, yeah, I mean, well, you know how like anytime uh, you go after filthy lucre, something bad's going to happen, right? But in um, in what's it called? Uh, which one was the first? The first uh, Drake game? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, Uncharted. Yeah, the first Uncharted game. They went to El Dorado and. They had zombies. Mm-hmm. That was the reason why El Dorado was lost and cursed and blah blah blah. Um, and and in this one, it's it's the alien plant, mm-hmm. and it's it's freaking creepy. Yep. <laughs> it's like it is. this isn't just oh it's it's uh you know Seymour feed me Seymour blah blah blah. This is like creepy ass alien plant that makes anything that we have on Earth. Look, uh, 
looked tame. Right. You know, and for a minute there, I thought they were going to go kind of heart of darkness with it because and just let the one character just slowly go insane. But no, the this was like paced very quickly. Things things went to shit rather fast. Yeah, they did. I mean, you had there's like some some tropes that they hit, like the uh, native guides bailing on you, mm-hmm. kind of thing. But so yeah, so you have uh, two explorers. They 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 run an orchid business. They they're out in the field gathering orchids, and uh, the where they are, there just happens to be rumors of a lost city. Mm-hmm. So and a treasure. Out. Yeah, treasure. That doesn't work out very well. Remember what happened um, in Griots. Yes. With, with treasure in a lost city. Well, lost cities and treasures never turn out well. Yeah, especially, but especially when they put all the treasure in a pit. <laughs> that is true. You know, it's like, okay, there's treasure, but it's in a big hole in the ground. Okay, yeah. <laughs> well, no one ever said orchid hunters had to be bright. I've read enough anthologies to see where this is going. So one of them gets sick. Right? Just contract some some virus in the jungle. It happens. Well, both of them had been sick on and off. Right, but the but one was was like bedridden sick. So they, mm-hmm. they set up a camp. The other one said, Look, while you're you're down, I'm gonna go look for the city. So he takes a guide and they go and they find the city and they find much, much more. Treasure in the pit. But there's no treasure. Treasure's a bust. Right. They and find comes, a pit. <laughs> and he comes back in a really foul mood. <laughs> Wouldn't you? Yeah, I mean, yeah. You you figure it goes you figure his mind at this point is just like I went to the fucking lost city. Went to the fucking pit. No fucking treasure. Lost a day. Nothing to show for it. I'm itchy. I'm wet. I'm cold. And you got to sit around and sip fucking cocktails and eat bonbons. Although that's not really how it went down, but... No, but that's... that's close that's, enough. That's how they portray it. So you have, like, this resentment. But it's not really... That's not really what's going on. Right. Exactly. It's not really what's going on. We get a little bait and switch there. Right. And we find well, out what's going on is far, far worse. Yeah, it's told from the point of view of the of the guy who was originally sick. Right. Well, and who relapses like two or three times. Right. Well, he a- ends up getting better, and they they decide the city's a bust. They're going to go head back with what they have orchid wise. But then the guy who went to the city, he starts getting ill. But it ain't the same thing. Mm-hmm. By far, it ain't the same thing. So at one point, he gets like a horn coming out of his head. That's right. And, you start turning into Twilight Sparkle. Well, I was thinking. I know. I know you're not like a huge Genesis fan. Mm-hmm. But uh, the title track from A Trick of a Tale. That is actually what it's about. <laughs> It's about a denizen of the lost city of gold mm-hmm. who makes his way into, you know, quote unquote, civilized lands and is put on display as a circus freak because he has horns. Right. And a tail, trick of the tail. 
I thought that's where it was kind of going for a while. It wasn't. It wasn't. But I, I did get to, like, you know, prompted me to go pull out chicken mm-hmm. the tail and listen to Twist My Arm. There you go. All right. And the third one on the list is The Woman in the Hill by Tamsin Muir. I hope I said that correctly. Uh, this is the old classic uh, letter to an unknown party. <laughs> um, oh, no. Dorothy. Well, it's Dorothy. Dorothy, you're not in Kansas anymore. This one's set in Australia. Right. And, uh, yeah, I mean, this is... No, this one's set in South Africa. Uh, I thought the next. I thought the next one was set in. Oh, South maybe. Africa. oh, you're right. You're right. It's set in New Zealand. No, New Zealand. I'm sorry, New Zealand. That's right. Um, yeah, this is the the classic. You know, the letter that you discover and you start off, and you're getting the story third hand, really. Mm-hmm. And then things change, and this one pushes all the right. Lovecraftian buttons once again without going into specific monsters previously existing. Yeah, it was a really cool concept too. Mm-hmm. So oh yeah, you know, I was thinking by the time I got to the end of the Woman on the Hill, you know, this is like the perfect setup for a one shot. Yeah, well, it, it actually is kind of similar to uh, that one West ran. Mm-hmm. Got the mountain. Yeah, it's similar, similar. to that. You, you have like a, a place. It's it's a, a cave that only reveals itself to certain women, right? And it's women. It doesn't doesn't do this if you're a man. I don't know. I don't think it does. Um, all the, the way it's written it implies that this only happens to women, right? And uh, so the the person who's writing the letter is talking about. How her a friend of her friends disappeared, right? And her friend went and investigated it and found this cave in the, in the hills. Um, and her and the original friend who was kidnapped or missing was in there acting really freaky. Mm-hmm. So, as you do, she gets the fuck out of there, right? And and, and the the woman is sitting there going, "You've come to save me," and. Mm-hmm. And but I, I, you can't do it, you know stuff like that. Right, just weird shit. Yeah, and so she goes. Right, so so the second woman goes to a a third woman, the 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 lady who's writing the letter, uh, relays her part of the story. I went looking for my friend. I found this cave. This is what was inside, and she just slowly succumbs to madness while she's telling this story. So. The, the author of the letter takes her in for a little while, lets her heal, regains some sanity points, and then uh, she goes on about her business. And That only works in the games. And so she, uh, you know, and it just kind of follows up after that. It's like, well, you know, we kind of lost touch after a while, yada, yada, yada. And then I found out she had disappeared, so I went to look for her, and this is what happened to me. Don't come looking for me. Right. That's like the big, the big thing is I know what's going to happen 
if it, if anything happens to me, don't come looking for me. Right. And and I really this one's okay to spoil the end because, you know, it 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 it's got an end. Um with the little twist and italics right at the end that this is this is a kind of like perpetual thing. Yeah, it's a it's a woman eating hill. Yeah, and it just keep going and going and going and that's that's the feel that you're left with is that, you know, you found this letter and maybe you're going to go look for Dorothy. Yeah, cuz Dorothy's next. The the really cool thing about the story, not only is it is it super creepy because mm-hmm. I mean it is super creepy. Um but at one point the the letter writer is is following after her friend and uh comes into like like an antechamber with niches and in each niche there's a uh there's a bundle. Mm-hmm. She cuts open the bundle and she thinks it's a smuggler's den. And so I'm just or reading. white slavers or some yeah. crazy shit. Inside each niche was an irregularly wrapped bundle of rough sacking or crudely pounded flax. I took my knife, and you gotta do this in an Australian accent. It sounds really great. I took my knife and eased out one of the bundles, not liking the greasy sacking or the oily stains it left on my fingers. If there had been filthy remains in there. I might have been less disturbed than I was with by what I found, an unfamiliar calico dress with a blouse, jacket, and boots. And, like, every bundle. It is like a packed, greasy bundle of women's clothing. Right. Of yeah, which, which itself of is like, kind of creepy. But, like, uh, ad infinitum of different uh, periods, different yep. styles, mm-hmm. um, to the point where they have, like, uh, Maori stuff in there right which is really cool um the way the way tamson the way tamson describes uh the way the walking of this one character who has been in the cave not so much like walking like we would but it's more like the bones were shifting under the skin yeah and you get like you get this feeling of the cave somehow is a is alive it's a it's a a mouth and a, a gut and, mm-hmm. and she's walking down the the throat into the belly of the beast yeah and then like she finds a friend and uh it's great because she just says uh oh caroline thank god that's her friend talking uh more naturally than she had been months previously something like her old with that same familiar ease, but it was wrong, Dorothy. I cannot ex- describe, as she could not describe either. It was dim in that room, but I could see the stark whites of her eyes and the hairs rose on the back of my ne- neck. What a relief you came. Of course, right. I asked her if she was all right, if she hurt me in any way. She gave me a brief, almost a lipless smile, and this was not an expression I had ever seen her wear. I was just like, ah. Really? Yeah. Like you found me beautiful ones. Wow, you got real ugly real fast. <laughs> but it's just like, oh, I'm glad it's you found me. Like your next bitch. <gasps> oh, I mean, it's just like to use your last victim as bait for your next. Yeah, almost kind of like this thing is a and this cave is an angler fish. Yeah, 
you know, yeah. kind of dangling the bait of the previous victim out there to catch the next one and on down the line. Right. And and of course, at the end, you get your the window your the window moment where uh, you know she's warning Dorothy if by awful chance you see the door if it comes to you. Um, invidiously, and it's filed stone in darkness, the entrance to the water and to the holes where we go. You must think of me within, then use dynamite. That's right. Blow the shit out of this motherfucker. But that's like the whole thing is that's the that's that's the bait right there. Because everyone previously was told, don't come looking. Mm -hmm. And then we and then the very end we find out Dorothy is missing. The letter was found concealed in the effects of an Auckland resident, Dr. Dorothy L., eight months after her May 1908 disappearance. Yep. And we've yep. just really <laughs> spoiled the entire story. Yep. But, but, man, it's so well worth reading just for the atmosphere mm-hmm. and the total creep factor. Oh, yeah. Definitely, definitely good creep factor here. And, you know, these two, the, the previous two stories, The Woman in the Hill and The Genesis Mausoleum, these are pretty much old school. Yeah, weird tales affirming stories. They bring back my faith in the weird tale. Mm-hmm. And it really goes to show you that that you can write the stories in the old style without going through some of the old style's hang-ups. And, and really, neither of them are, are pastiche at all. No. Um, I mean, not... not not in the way they're written, not in the, the choice of language or the grammar that's used. It's not adjectives and convoluted sentences. The theme, yes, the themes are there, but I mean, those themes continue on. Not not the themes of racism, sexism, blah, 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 but but the deeper, right. you know, the, the horror themes, the weird themes. The, the things of, right, the themes and tropes that we try to carry on into the future and leave behind the just underlying things that, that gave rise to some of these troops. Right. I mean, you know, there aren't the disgusting savages and things like no, that. No, I mean, it's fear of the unknown. It just so happens that a lot of people who wrote weird fiction back in the day, the unknown was people who weren't white. <laughs> right. Yeah. But these two capture that classic style and, and they just hit all the right buttons. Yeah, really well. Uh, the next up is The Face of Jari by Kat Hellison. This is the one set in South Africa. Right, yes. Um, the first note that I wrote is it seems like our narrator could have been played by Winona Ryder in the 90s. Or okay, maybe yeah. Janine Garofalo or something like that. This this narrator is jaded and smartass and just a joy to be around, I'm sure. <laughs> um, yes, definitely. The the face of a lot of people that I knew back in the late 80s, mm-hmm. early 90s. And that's a plus right there for any story is like, I know this person. Yeah, of course. You know. And well, so we have... This person went to the University of Wisconsin. <laughs> right. Right. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so what we have is, it's really kind of a fun little tale that has 
an interesting creep factor going on with a little little bit of mystery. Uh, you've got uh, some parallel universes, worlds going on. You know, kind of like little side spaces. Yeah, it, I mean, it, it, it was kind of, to me, it, it reminded me a lot of a King and Yellow tale. Right. Yeah, it had it had more of that kind of uh, Carcosa vibe, something like yeah. that. Uh, my note for the story um, was very Carcosa-esque. It kind of reminded me of Neverwhere, like an urban fantasy gone bad. Yeah, uh, yeah, so, yeah, it had that. It had that vibe. Yeah. So if if you like, um, like that Neil Gaiman Neverwhere meets meets Joe Pulver, Carcosa. Mm-hmm. It's kind. It's got that that vibe happening. Well, it also introduces kind of an interesting concept of. There's these sideways worlds that you go into, and once you're in there, there are even more sideways worlds from there. Yeah. That, you know, you, you can't get there from, you know, it's fucking Kun Lun gone bad. <laughs> you can't get there from here. Yeah, and, and some really interesting, um, I guess, sets happening. There's at one point, uh, I guess I had to look it up, but there's a famous sculpture. Um, in South Africa, called the Butcher Boys, mm-hmm. and uh, they, they're, it's very distinctive. And the narrator, while she's out wandering around the Delta, uh, sees them in the mist walking, mm-hmm. and one of them turns to look at her. Right. And she she recognizes them in the mist because they're really distinctive, and she thinks that oh, some college kids stole the Butcher Boys. Well, didn't she uh, also read then it? Then later on, later on, she actually ends up meeting them, the actual sculptures. Yeah, that was kind of cool, too. They gave her, like, a nod, like, what's up? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, this one I really liked in that uh, in that kind of weird sort of way that, that strange shit happening right under your nose well she gets that uh it's it's kind of she gets that like that viral seed of the name of jerry Mm -hmm. and it 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 grows into an obsession with her where she it's kind of like one of those things that's in the tip of your tongue you can't remember exactly what it is but it's bothering you and you don't have the proper search terms to look it up on Google. Right. So, um, and, and finally she ends up, um, somebody else mentions Jerry Mm -hmm. and she kind of, uh, fast talks her way into getting some information. Yep, and she finds out, and then she meets a guy in a bar, as you do. Yeah, I mean, yeah, don't. I don't know if anything has changed since I was drinking, but uh, guys in bars in horror stories, bad news. Well, probably bad news in general, but guys, especially in like an horror story. Every time. Don't go, don't go back. And, and the final gag, you know, the the real 
horror part of this story was really interesting too. I mean, he had he had some face stealing going on. Yeah. Well, that's the cool thing is like up until now you have like this urban fantasy. Uh, you know, there's another world going on parallel to your world, and you can get there. You know, and that's mm-hmm. like you know, that's every trope from Narnia, Wizard of Oz, Neverwhere. I mean, there's like a a gajillion stories that use that as the as the premise. This whole secret world. Yeah. Bridge to Terabithia. Mm-hmm. All sorts of things, but it's used very well here. Uh, this one is also paced really well with the the just the viral aspect of the mystery. You know, you, you catch it, you're exposed to it. And then it starts changing you, changing you, changing you, and then you have this penultimate experience. Yeah, really bad one too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is one of those ones where you really can't spoil it. Yeah, because it's just such a shocking ending. Like the rest of them, you kind of know where they're going because you're used to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the ending of this one kind of like. Uh, twists around in your face and goes, see ya. Right. And this one has a definite uh, ending. This is not an ambiguous ending. Yeah. It's, it's, here it is. This is what happened. Ah, you're fucked. Yep. Uh, the final one we're going to cover is uh, Our Lady of Arisa Mons by Caitlin R. Kiernan. Yes. This is, this throws a little uh, science fiction in your mythos. Yeah, a little. It, it, you played uh, Dead Space, right? Yeah. Did this not remind you of the plot of Dead Space? It was kind of like a little bit of Dead Space. Uh, I caught a little bit of Mass Effect in there. Doom three. Uh, Doom three, maybe even uh, like Ghosts of Mars, yeah. stuff like that. I mean, you know, this it's got that that. It's got the lost civilization vibe and and on Mars and Mars being at the forefront of a lot of people's minds with our continued explore, robotic exploration. Right. Um, you know, and these discoveries that are showing that, you know, Mars was more Earth-like in the past than than we have been led to believe or than we thought. And and so it starts off with a with a believable premise, you know. In the future, we've got people researching, and we found evidence of civilization. Right. And then everything goes to fucking hell. Send up an archaeological team, which is what you would do, mm-hmm. and uh, they find they call it the temple, right? But one of the the archaeologists makes it. A point to say you cannot call it a temple because you don't know what it is. You're just making assumptions. You can't call it the things you found idols because once again, you're making assumptions. You don't know what it is, which is a very pragmatic and very archaeological way to to go about things. That's mm-hmm. what you would do, right? Unfortunately, the 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 idols. We'll put that in quotes for now, but y'all know their idols, that they find are similar to to a uh, characters invented by like this guy who's like kind of a cross between Walt Disney and H.P. Lovecraft. 
Yeah. Yeah. Can I add that whole uh, an element of the old uh, Coral Castle thing going on too? The you know the crazy recluse artist type who just on a whim quits his job and builds some wacky thing. Yeah, and he he had like these hybrid characters mm-hmm. that um, everybody knew who they were. I was figuring like they would be like the cultist version of Mickey Mouse and everything. But I mean, right, think about whatever you want to think about. Right, he got to be a very famous for his bizarre sculptures and and Henry Clues. Mm-hmm. And these these sculptures are identical to the ones they found on Mars. To the point where they're actually made of the same material, which is a material that should not be native to Mars, which isn't native to Mars. Mm-hmm. So they have these, uh, it's a volcanic rock that can't form on Mars for some reason. Right. Which is funny because it's kind of like one of those, uh, it's an archaeology trope, really. You know, you have like the pyramids were built of sandstone, but they had to be taken from uh, 2,000 miles away. Right. But also, it's kind of a reverse of the usual uh, use of this type of idea is that, you know, the materials made that made these sculptures was found on Earth. And then now it's been located on Mars at some point in the distant past. We were never given a date on when these things were possibly made. No, we were not. Nah, you, you, I mean, you ultimately assume that these things predate Clues's things. Mm-hmm. Clues is that earthly conduit of whatever is being sold. Right, but there's, there's also the implication that it went backwards. It went from Earth to Mars right. rather than Mars to Earth. So you have that aspect. And then, then the wacky shit starts happening. Uh, guy driving through the waste with his truck, you know, sees monsters walking through before a dust storm right? that don't show up on radar. And you have the doors. one, uh, the Beatles. Oh, the Beatles. I'm sorry. It was Hey Jude. Yeah, I was thinking writers on the storm for some reason. Yeah. Well, I mean, you had that big sandstorm that approaching. Was really it was easy to go. Uh, plus the, the drug use right. by the navigator. <laughs> And then it's have, easy to think doors. The, the woman, and I was thinking of the doors earlier. Mm-hmm. And then you have the woman who uh, touched one of the statues, mm-hmm. ended up stabbing her superior who was trying to prevent her from doing it. Or did he? Yeah, see, now you get like some weird reality shifting. Mm-hmm. Very like Philip K. Dick point of view reality shifts. Yep, because it's like, okay, here's the recordings. Notice anything odd? Yeah, every recording of the incident is different. Like, not different from its point of view. It's not a parallax difference. It's a difference in events. Mm-hmm. Some so of them are have, subtle. Some of them are blatant. Right. So, so you have, like, several different... The Rashomon effect going on right here is you know there and you've got these like executive types who are trying to sort this whole mess out 
and you had a, an information leak in the press right. had gotten a hold of it. And, and everybody's trying to protect their jobs. Yep. It's great. I mean, you've got like, it's, it's a, a melting pot of science fiction, science fiction, science fiction, horror kind of stuff that happens. Mm-hmm. And this is the first story in the anthology to give us the name drops. Yes, there's definitely name drops in here. Well, then you have like the statues are obviously, you know, supposed to evoke the the beings that belong to those names as well. Right. And one of them is, is that one octopus hippo, right? With bat wings. Octo hippo. Yeah, but it's kind of funny because it doesn't. None of the people know what what. It is, which is refreshing. You don't have like some uh, some mechanic <laughs> working on the engine going, yeah, 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 yeah. I read no. about this in a book I found in the library once. Right, I was when I was in Massachusetts in Arkham. <laughs> I happened to go into the restricted section on Dare. When I was at uh, Arkham University Votech. <laughs> we shouldn't have a Votech at Arkham. Or, you know, he might have just had a degree in, uh, you know, philosophy and just all he can get was, was fucking mechanic work. Yeah, maybe. He graduated. So, so, I mean, and you have all of your, you have all of your uh, standard trope characters, too. You have your scientists. You have your guilt-ridden person. You have the madman. Right. You have the company man. Right. The company is great because he sees he sees all of the all of the different points of view, and he's like, erase everything, right. <laughs> don't make copies, destroy all evidence that this ever happened. Yep, cover it up. And yeah, and while I wasn't a big fan of the name dropping and stuff after you know seeing three great stories that didn't go that far, it was it was refreshing. It was refreshing to get kind of that sci-fi take yeah. uh, within within the book. Um, just just because you don't see it much unless there's a dedicated anthology to it. Right. Well, and that's the thing is you didn't need the name dropping in here. It, the story, you know, you knew where it was going. You knew what was going on. You didn't need the yas, yas. Right. But... You know, overall. I mean, really, when they said that the company policy is that if you have, if you go to the psych ward, um, mm-hmm. you cannot leave Mars less sane than, than when you started out there. Right. Once they said that, you knew where it was kind of going. Right. You knew which direction this was, was going in. Right. Nobody's leaving yeah. Mars. No one leaves Mars. <laughs> yeah. So... There we go. Dreams from the Witch House. Female voices of Lovecraftian horror. Uh, first five stories really coming out of the gate swinging. Yeah. Um, next time, we'll be looking at the next five stories. Yeah. And until then, good night, Grace. Good night, Grace.